Good morning, Firewheel. Good morning, Firewheel. There we go. It's a little better. Hey, hey, it's good to be with you here this morning. Um, it's always a privilege to be able to gather together in person with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We know a lot of people today don't get a chance to do that, and we're great, very grateful that we get to do that. A special hello to those of you who are watching us online. Uh, we want you to know that you are loved. We say that every Sunday, and we mean it as well. Um, church is fun. Okay, it's fun being here at Firewheel. Man, I love um, our teaching here. I love our band and our worship band here and the music. I love hearing Pastor Chris's message as well. So let's enjoy church today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, we lift you up, Lord, and we exalt your name because you are worthy, Lord, yesterday, today, and forever. You know all things, Lord. You are the only true living God, the Alpha and the Omega. We thank you, Father, um, for the opportunity we have to gather together here in person with one another and share and have fellowship. We thank you most of all for the cross, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins. I pray, Lord, this morning for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and the situation that's going on there, Lord. You know what's going on. I pray for courage for them. I pray for deliverance for them, if that be your will. I pray the service today would be pleasing to you. I pray the music and the message as well would glorify your name. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, everyone. Before we get started, I want to recognize something. Um, Lauren is here. <laughs> Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> I love doing this to her. Um, visiting from San Diego, and um, she graciously accepted an invitation to sing with us. I always want her up here when she's here visiting, even if she has other plans. So, so thank you very much for joining us this morning. All right, everybody, please rise. Join us this morning in praise and worship. Glory taught us how to shout. We lift your name in 
all the earth and will shout to the praise of your glory. It's the overflow.
great to see all you guys this morning. It used to be you were sitting over here, so I just noticed you're all over there. So welcome, glad you're here. And like, like hearing all your voices out there singing.
Wow, good morning, church. Please be seated. I'm going to ask that our Esther's come forward. We're going to give our tithes and our offerings this morning. And I want to encourage you in something. This is so incredible. And uh, you may not be aware of this, that God literally has provided every one of our needs as a ministry. And And you want to know who he has entrusted those resources to? To each one of us. To each one of us. And we have this this privilege and this opportunity to put our trust in the Lord and to leverage earthly resources for kingdom purposes. And what a joy that is. Uh, We have four different ways of giving our offering. You You can give online, you can give through text, you can give through the mail, and you can give through the offering boxes and baskets. But I want to encourage you in something. Give and trust. Every dollar you invest goes to battle biblical illiteracy. And in and through the sound teaching of the scriptures, people are given Jesus. And through Christ, eternal life. And they are discipled and trained in the faith. And you're investing in that. So family, let's gather these resources and provide for the needs of the church. Lord, we thank you this morning for the privilege that we have to give, to entrust, to let go of. That Lord, you've given us earthly resources that we can invest in kingdom things. That, Lord Jesus, that you have come to us are in the kingdom. A kingdom that is so different than the kingdom in which we live. And, Lord, there are, there are so many who are completely wallowing in the fallen kingdom of this earth. And, Lord, we have the privilege of carrying life to them and saving some. And so, Lord, lead us to a place that we, we see generosity as a grace gift. And we have this opportunity to give and to leverage for kingdom purposes. We ask that your, your glory is lifted up, that you are honored above everything. And we thank you for this ministry. We thank you for the local churches, Lord. We ask that you continue to provide for the local churches. Lord, fill up the local church. We ask that you draw the residents of Rowlett and Garland and Dallas and Wiley and Saxe and all of the surrounding communities, that you would awaken the hearts of the people to seek after you. Lord, we ask in your grace, please, as we lift you up, Jesus, that you would draw all people to yourself. We ask, we plead, we intercede for our communities. Please do a powerful work in our generation that, Lord, we would be able to be a part of something. That we, though temporary, are doing things that are eternally significant. We love you, Jesus. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.
Reigning forever. 
All right, thank you, thank you. How about that worship? Let's give a round of applause. Great stuff, great stuff. All right, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Keegan McCarthy. Uh, I serve in a certain capacity here at the church, uh, but I'm here to deliver some announcements. So first and foremost, today, we have our newcomers luncheon right after the service at 12.30. It'll happen in the great room. Uh, we will be having a taco bar prepared by the lovely Rorks. So big hand to them. Thank you so much for that. So if you're new to Firewheel, uh, you've been coming a little bit, but you want some more information, that's the perfect place for you to come. Um, and yes, there will be a quiz in order to get access to the taco bar. I'm just kidding. Uh, August 26th, this coming Tuesday, ladies of Firewheel, we will be hosting an event to make Christmas cards for soldiers who are overseas. Um, so if you are in a Christmas card making fashion, then please come on down, bring any supplies you have. Uh, it'll be a real nice treat for those boys and women across the seas. Uh, starting September 1st, Foundations, Wednesday night. Foundations will be a verse-by-verse -verse Bible study starting in Genesis. It was described to me once by a very wise pastor as learning to use tools to investigate scripture. Um, so you start with a shovel, then you go down to a fine-tooth comb, and you go verse by verse and just pick out things that you wouldn't normally. But it's a great way to really delve deep into the scriptures. That starts Wednesday, September 1st. Um, softball. Let's give a shout-out to softball. Woo! All right, I'll need more enthusiasm in the coming weeks. But come the middle of September, dates TBD. We are going to start playing softball at Heritage Park over in Saxe. Um, it's going to be co-ed. We've tried men's in the past, but it got way too competitive, and I threw way too many bats. Um, thank you, Stephen. Um, so, ladies, we need you just as much as the men to make a team. We need five women and five men. We currently have two teams, so in all, we need 20 people, 10 women, 10 men. If we have more, that's great. If we need more teams, we can make some. Uh, the cost of sign-up will be $50. Um, the days we'll be playing are to be determined as well, but it's going to be a great time. So, uh, Also, October 16th, golf tournaments. Yeah. All right, all right. So at Waterview in Rowlett, we will be hosting the FWBF Fall Classic Invitational Masters. It'll co <laughs> I Googled all that. Uh, it'll cost $75. It includes uh, you know, your green fees, range balls, uh, lunch will be provided. There'll be some fabulous prizes. Um, Mr. Sean can attest he won a putter at the last tournament, and he has yet to miss a putt with that putter. His word. Yes, yes. His words, not mine. Um, all right. Uh, as you are uh, taking part of Firewheel and enjoying it, I'd like to remind you that there are many volunteer opportunities, uh, whether that be at guest services, whether it be on the AV team, if you have a certain talent for worship, uh, maybe in the children's ministry. Uh, if you're looking to get more plugged in and involved, uh, you know, asking what you can do for your church, not what your church can do for you, then there is a place for you. Come see me. I'll be out in the lobby. Um, also, we have a very vibrant youth ministry going on right here. Yes. A big shout out to Josh Lewis and his wife Summer and their entire family. They've done a fantastic job ever since he's come in. Yes, excellent job. And if you are a youth who does not go to youth currently, we have a youth group. It happens at 9.30. So yes, you must wake up somewhat early. But I assure you, it is worth it. So, other than that, uh, my name is Keegan McCarthy. If you're looking to get plugged in, like I said, find me in the lobby. Uh, and that's all I have for you. Enjoy the service.
Thank you, Keegan McCarthy. All right, Bibles. Let's see your Bibles. Everybody lift that Bible up. If you do not have a Bible, you'd like a Bible. We have Bibles for you over here on the tables. Uh, you feel free to grab one. I see digital Bibles going up. We all got pens, pens. Everybody got a pen out there. Nice. How many of y'all got a sermon buddy? Let's see those sermon buddies. Y'all know what we're talking about, sermon buddies. If you don't, it helps you go through the message. Uh, you will be walked through this morning, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. And the sermon buddies, so, so valuable. Greg is back here. He'd love to hand you one. Uh, if you raise your hand up, we'll make sure you get those sermon buddies. Uh, so let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. Uh, let's do that again. Everybody say word. Yeah, man, we're opening the word. And so um, this past week, I, I posted a video to Facebook. I, I've been doing that occasionally. And uh, it was a very exciting uh, video. Um, and it was encouraging uh, people who were hungry, thirsty, uh, to, to maybe seek after Jesus and maybe visit a local church. And, and there were all kinds of responses. And we've been doing these videos uh, for the past few weeks. And um, some of the responses were accusing me of um, being um, high because uh, apparently I talk with some passion occasionally. Um, and I was very energetic in, in, the, in the show. And they making that accusation. And then there were some who were saying that we're preaching a certain religious sect, and then others were being kind of instigators. And, and I started to get pretty low about that, and I started to feel like that, that Facebook sadness. Do you all know what I'm talking about? When people, come on, don't be so cool, all right? We all, are, we all have flashbacks to junior high and being made fun of. Anyway, sorry, junior hires, you were loved. It's just hard. I'm just going to tell you, right? Like, just grind it out. Seventh, eighth grade, just grind it out. Um, but the more I thought about it and prayed about it, the more I realized something. Um, I started thinking back about the early apostles um, and things that were said to them. Pentecost morning, they were accused of being drunk. Um, Paul the apostle was, was accused of preaching a strange new sect. And, and there were people who, who had heard the truth and who had turned against it and were instigating. And then I realized, I'm like, uh-oh, guess what happens when we preach Jesus? You get all kinds of responses. But that doesn't mean we stop preaching Jesus. Amen? And so our commitment is to continue using these videos to, to answer the question you may have as to why are we doing these videos? Well, because it's the public square of the 21st century. That's where people gather. And, and we're proclaiming the message. And we're going to use videos. We're going to try to use creative means of connecting people to the church. And not just this church. We want people to be connected to the church. We want to see the local churches filled up and, and being in the community being reached for Christ. So we're going to be doing those videos. Uh, if you want to share them, share them, uh, but just know that's where it's coming from, and uh, I, I liked having my little sensitive ego taking a couple of shots. It was good this week, and uh, I'm reminded that it's worth it. So, Bibles, pens, sermon buddies, you got that. I want to make this statement, and uh, I think we're all going to agree. There is real evil in this world. Okay? There are tyrants and, and dictators and despots and oppressive and oppressive regimes. I mean, just scanning the current headlines today reminds us that there is real evil out there. I mean, just in our own experience, our daily lives, we are reminded that, that evil has its grip on this world. And you know what? It starts to feel like evil is winning. And that everything is just spinning out of control. We have no foundation to stand on. But I assure you 
that no matter how things appear on the surface, God is still on his throne, God is still in control, and nothing and no one can keep his perfect, sovereign, and good plan from being accomplished in our lives or in this world. And I'm going I'm to argue today that not even the Herods of this world can overthrow the kingdom of God. So as we go through Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, we're going to look at five questions. This will walk you through our sermon, buddy. First question, what did Herod know? Second, how does or how did God intervene? Third, where did Joseph and Mary get the resources to flee to Egypt? Four, how did Herod respond to the wise men not returning to Jerusalem? And five, who is really behind the Herods of this world. We're picking back up where we left off last week uh, in Matthew 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. And as you remember, there was a group of wise men numbering somewhere between three and 300 who made the roughly 1,700-mile journey from then Babylon to Jerusalem. And they had come. They had come for a very significant purpose. And in my prayer is that is why we have gathered here this morning for the same purpose. But they had brought with them an extravagant and expensive gift. They had a star and a scripture, but that was enough for them to travel some 1,700 miles, and they arrive at Jerusalem, and they're expecting to meet the king, and it, and it must have been so shocking for them and so surprising that when they arrived at Jerusalem, it didn't seem like anyone was even aware the king had been born. And they're looking around. They're like, where's the king, the, the king who's been born, king of Israel? Where is he? And the religious leaders seem completely confused, even though the scriptures clearly taught where this child was to be born. And hearing the wise men, they just kind of shrugged their, sh their shoulders. But there was one person who took a real interest in this child who had been born. Here is a portrait of this particular person. This is a portrait, an artist rendition, of a guy by the name of Herod the King. We meet him in the text. Or Herod the Great. He was the resident Roman king of, Ju of Judea surrounding regions of the time, and he ruled. I mean, when I say ruled, I mean like with an iron fist from the year 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. And last week, we kind of introduced his brutal and tyrannical rule of viciousness that was, in fact, known empire-wide. Even the emperor Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome at the time, this is what he said, using a play on words to describe Herod the Great that it would be, have been better for a person in Israel to be Herod's sow, that is in Greek, huio, rather than Herod's son, huios. A play on words, one letter changing out the two words. And the reason he said this is that in his later years, which is when we actually run into Herod in the scriptures, apparently he'd become quite sick. And an extreme paranoia started to have any, any dissidents, any, any political dissidents. He, he started having uh, his wives and even his very children put to death to keep them from stealing his throne. It was even reported that he, he had issued a decree that when he died, there were to be 3,000 Jews slaughtered so that they'd have something truly to mourn about. Now, the guy was a complete monster. So as we saw last week, Herod set out to get as much information on the supposed king who had been born. Now, he did it under the guise of worship, but we know that he had far more sinister plans in mind. And so before we get to that passage, we're going to ask a few questions about Herod. First of all, what did Herod know? I mean, he had some data. The first thing he knew is that a king had been born who was potentially the promised Messiah of Israel. 
He knew that the child had been born in Bethlehem according to prophecy. And he knew the child had been born within the past two years. He was kind of basing that on information he ascertained from the wise men. Now the question is, what didn't Herod know? He didn't know the exact location of the child, so he devised a plan. And his plan was very simple. We see this in Matthew 2, verse 8. And he said to the wise men, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you found him, hey, bring me back word that I too may come and kill him, slash worship him, right? And as we saw last week, those, those same wise men, they left Bethlehem, they left for Bethlehem, and along the way, the star, they had originally seen it, appeared again and led them to Bethlehem and to the house. And when they saw the star, y'all remember what they did? They rejoiced with an exceedingly great joy because they had found Jesus. And family, I pray that same exceedingly great joy fills our hearts, and it filled our hearts today as we got up and as we got ready and as we came to church. We should have an exceedingly great joy when we gather together because we have found Jesus. If there is a people on earth who has something truly to celebrate, it is the people of God. Amen? Matthew 2, verse 11, they went into the house and they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped who? Him. They fell down and worshiped him. Family, Jesus is worthy of our worship. And they took that, that appropriate posture of worship and opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Oh, they worshiped him. And my prayer is that we would be a church who worships him. That we gather together in the name of Jesus, but let it not just be a name, but in worship. True, tangible worship. And as they prepared to head back to Jerusalem, an angel breaks into their dreams, which is answering the question, how did or how does God intervene? You know, God has his way. You ever had something happen in your life that it doesn't really make sense, but you look back and you're like, wow, God was really intervening in my life at that moment. You all have, you all have destiny markers in your life like that? Can you all look back and see moments in your life where God's been faithful? Do you all have those? Yeah. Well, God intervenes in a really powerful way, first in the lives of these Gentile worshipers and then in the lives of Joseph and Mary. Look at verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And, and here's, here's a map of, of how they traveled. So they, they came from Babylon, and they had made their way the 1,700 miles down to Jerusalem, and they'd kind of gone over to Bethlehem, which is about five miles away, and they were going to go back to Jerusalem. But to do that would have been a death sentence. Had they returned back to Jerusalem, Herod would have tortured them to get information. And so God intervenes and, and sends it back another way. And they start making their way north back to Babylon. Well, then God intervenes in the lives of Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Look at this, verse 13. Now, when they had departed, being the wise men, as they headed north, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, wake up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. The angel's like, you got to run. you got to get out of Bethlehem. And you got to do it tonight. you got to flee to Egypt and remain there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to do what? To destroy him. 
There is an urgency in the command of the Lord through this angel. It's telling that, that the angel mentions the child first, then Mary. And there's a reason for that because it's essential that Jesus had to be protected at all costs. This was Joseph and, and Mary's most significant calling. It was mission critical that this child be protected. And so immediately Joseph wakes up and like gathers his belongings and, and grabs up Mary and Jesus and they, they hustle their way right out of Bethlehem. Verse 14. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. They are under the cover of darkness. And so they flee from Bethlehem to Egypt. A place would have would have provided some necessary asylum. In fact, if you bring up this map right here, so they're in, in Bethlehem right about here, and they're traveling south. And this, is, this was not an easy journey. In fact, it would be 150 miles before they reached the first Egyptian town. And they're seeking asylum, and they're running for their life. And I can imagine as they're running, can you imagine fleeing under the cover of darkness knowing that you're being chased? And they're looking over their shoulders as they run, but God's providing, and they flee down to Egypt. And in verse 15, we are told that once they arrive there, they remain there until the death of Herod. I just think it's so crazy. Bring that map back up. So he, God sent the, the wise men north, and he sends Jesus and Joseph and Mary south. I'm like, God, divine intervention right here. And so in verse 15, it says, they remained there, that is in Egypt, until the death of Herod, which got me asking the question, where did Joseph and Mary get the resources to flee to Egypt? Now, you ever ask that question? I mean, think about that. Like, any of y'all remember what it was like being newly married? You remember broke? Some of you are all, we just got married. I met a brand new married couple today. Y'all brought back so many memories. I mean, it's like, isn't it the best? You know, you're like, oh, marriage is the best. All we have is, all we have is like saltines and peanut butter, but man, it's ours. And we furnished our house. You know how much I furnished our house for? $75. <laughs> and the other stuff I found in the trash. I was a dumpster diver at the time. I'm not too good for that still. But you remember broke. I mean, this couple's brand new married. So how do they get the resources to flee? And this, this is such a cool thought. It seems that the expensive and extravagant gifts of worship from the wise men, that is the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, became the necessary resources to underwrite their trip to Egypt and their stay until the death of Herod. And you know what that reminded me of? It reminds me that the Lord provides for us through some rather surprising ways. I mean, while at the seminary, again, we were broke. Um, at that point in time, we had a couple of kids. I mean, like if broke had a distant cousin, that was us. And, and we were really in need. And it was crazy to us how God provided. There would be like an unexpected check in the mail or someone would be like, hey, we got this extra gift card. Do you want it? Uh, or someone's like, hey, we got this extra grocery. Do you want this bag of groceries? We're like, yes. Do you want to know what's in it? No, we don't care. And we had just crazy jobs unexpectedly would pop up. And, and it, here's the deal. The Lord will provide. And what's even more significant than the Lord providing, uh, what must have seemed like total chaos, out-of-control confusion, and that may be your life right now, may feel like total out-of-control confusion, it was always a part of God's sovereign plan. Because the end of verse 15 says this, this was to fulfill. All that we have just read, all that we have just studied was all to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, 
I have called my son. And this is crazy because this is an obscure prophecy tucked away in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. And on the surface, it's referencing, it's like looking back where Hosea was writing, was looking back to when the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, but it was also looking forward to, to this moment in time when the angel would have warned Joseph and Mary to grab Jesus and flee to Egypt, and what must have seemed like total chaos was actually always a part of God's divine and sovereign plan. Y'all, it may not make sense right now, it may not be clear what the Lord is up to in your life right now. And it may feel like things are totally out of control. And you're like, why this detour? You ever take a detour and you're like, ah, uh, why am I here? Why am I? Hopefully you're not saying that this morning here. <laughs> but there are those times in our life and we're like, this just doesn't make any sense. And this reminds me that we're all a part of the Lord's sovereign plan, that when we follow Jesus, like when we love and follow him, you know what? We can trust that we're in the center of his will, and it doesn't have to make sense. Because we're not the God of our own life, we can trust that God will be the God of our life, and he will lead and shepherd us. So with Jesus safely tucked away in Egypt, we turn back to this ruthless and evil Herod. Again, I'm going to make this statement. There is evil in this world. Real evil. There are corrupt kings and tyrants and leaders and dictators and rulers. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news right now to see the awful atrocities that are occurring in Afghanistan. Like going house to house, like churches, children, people being beaten, some slaughtered. For the faith that we have. I mean, just imagine someone bursting into your home, scouring and looking for a Bible. They're dragging people into the streets. The stuff that we're reading about in, in Matthew chapter 2, is, it's not unique to this time. It's happening right now. Because this tyrant is going to start going house to house in the city of Bethlehem. So the question we ask is, how did Herod respond to the wise men not returning to Jerusalem? Not well. I mean, it's a grotesque read, and it reveals the character and nature of the true evil behind the Herods of this world. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he had been made a fool. And no one makes Herod a fool. He became furious, and he sent and killed, listen to this, he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men, literally going house to house, dragging out children and having them slaughtered. Why? What was he attempting to do? He was attempting to kill the Christ. And family, that same evil is in this world today. And you know what it shows me? It shows me what incredible lengths evil people will, will go to to get rid of Jesus, his church, and his followers. This passage shows us what lengths evil people will go to to get rid of Jesus, his church, and his followers. And what we're looking at here in this passage, Herod may have pulled the trigger, but it was Satan who ordered the hit. There is a, a prophecy in the book of Revelation that we're going to turn to uh, for a short minute. Turn in your Bibles to the right, Revelation chapter 12. 
And this is a very fascinating prophecy. It is a prophecy that is looking forward to future events while at the same time looking back at actually what we are reading right now in Matthew 2, verse 16. And this is really answering the question, who is really behind the Herods of this world? Don't miss this. Who is really behind the Herods of this world? Revelation 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and the head on her head, a crown of 12 stars. I believe this is a picture of Israel. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And I believe this is the moment where we start looking backwards. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his head, seven diadems. Families, as we look at this, this is a picture of Satan and his rule over kings, kingdoms of this world. Y'all, don't forget this, who the true dictator of darkness is or the true tyrant of tyranny or the true father of lies who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy you. It is the ancient serpent. And so filling the heart of Herod, poised himself to destroy the child Jesus before he could usher in the kingdom. Verse 4. With his tail, speaking of the dragon, speaking of Satan, he swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. You know what that's a reference of? Third of the angels who fell. This is a demonic mafia under their boss, Satan. And listen to what the dragon did. He stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it as Herod sought to destroy him. Who was really behind Herod? She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. God protected his son, who is the true king. As Psalm 2 declares, he will rule the earth with a rod of iron. He will crush his enemies like a potter's vessel. You know, at this moment, Satan's so filled with, consumed with, Satan, that he believed himself the almighty king, and he was just a pawn in the hand of Satan, who is actually behind the evil actions. The devil, Satan, his demonic henchmen. You know what I'm reminded of? Just briefly, turn over to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, because we can start, we can read that, and we can be like, well, maybe that was then. But is that really happening right now? Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says this, finally, don't miss this. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This is insinuating that in and of ourselves we do not have power. We do not have strength and we do not have might. He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes and the methods of the devil. I'm going to tell you right now, if you are not armored up, you are not a challenge for Satan. The same tactics and tricks that he's been using for thousands of years, they work just as effectively today. And he's taking more Christians out faster than COVID. 
He's picking us off. And the scriptures say this, listen to this, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and agents of authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. And we sometimes talk about Satan and the demonic like it's some story, and we're lulled, not realizing we're being hunted, and he never relents. His passion, his driving force is to destroy Christ, his church, and his followers. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And this reminds me that when I look at the evil in this world and I start scanning the headlines and I start looking at it, and you know what it's showing us if we have eyes to see who's actually behind it all? And even this, this atrocious act, what we have preserved in Matthew 2, verse 16, was also fulfilling prophecy. Matthew chapter 2, verse 17 through 18. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, that Jeremiah looking forward pens these words that not even the, the suffering, the, the shed blood, which would have seemed insignificant to the Roman Empire. I mean, what's just a, a group of peasants that their shed blood was never forgotten by the Lord. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. I mean, this is the agonizing sorrow of the loss of children. There is no pain more poignant. But then the next four words, uh, verse 19, captures the end of all Herod's. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, but when Herod what? Died. You can underline those two words. Herod died. All Herods die. We know historically what happened to Herod is not a good story. Not long after the terrible events that unfolded here in the text, Josephus, an ancient historian, wrote in incredibly graphic detail how Herod became grotesquely ill. Herod essentially rotted and putrefied from the inside out, dying in an agonizing puddle of his own waste. The evil rulers of this earth, the dictators, the murderers, the wicked kings and, and presidents all have a short shelf life. I'm reminded of the fall of the, the, and the death of people like Saddam Hussein and others like him who, whose tyrannical rule comes to an end at times by the end of a rope. But that's not where the story ends. You see, for a short time, they have power on the earth, but in the end, all tyrants who have not bent their knee to King Jesus will stand before the great white throne they will stand accountable for their crime and their wickedness, their ultimate destination being the lake of fire. At the death of Herod, it was time for Jesus, Joseph, and Mary to return home, verses 19 through 20. But when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, hey, rise, wake up. It's time to get back home. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are what? Dead. It's time to return home. 
Now those who sought the child's life were not the only people that would seek the child's life, right? People were constantly trying to put Jesus to death until they finally did, thinking at victory, not realizing with each nail driven into his wrists and his feet, it was actually the true victory over sin and death. And that through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, all evil was conquered. True captives have been set free. And as Christ ascended into heaven, he said, just wait, I'm returning, and I will establish my throne on the earth. And so he rose. And he took the child to the land of Israel, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in another dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Look, I'm reminded that when one tyrant dies, another one quickly takes its place. And and that's just going to continue. Archelaus was demented, demonically possessed. In fact, one of his first acts was carrying out his father's wishes. He killed 3,000 Jews in the temple claiming that they were celebrating the death of his father. But his rule was brutal but short. And so Jesus, Joseph, and Mary headed north, way north, like Nazareth north. Let me see that map. Thank you so much. And so they had headed uh, south, and, and it was time. Herod had died, and so they were turning back, and, and they heard that, that Archelaus was ruling, and then the angel uh, led them away, and they, they skipped Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and they made their way up to Nazareth, this little insignificant, know-nothing town. Like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But it was, it was destined Again, this is all according to God's plan. Verse 23, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a what? A Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth. That all of this stuff, this, these seemingly disconnected events and, and things that seem like strange circumstances all interweave to really fulfill God's perfect sovereign plan. Out of Nazareth will come Jesus, the King of glory, the pure authority of heaven, the person and presence of the kingdom of God, the Savior of the world. And as we turn to chapter 3 next week, we will hear the words of that great prophet of the wilderness, John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your sins, for the King has come. And that is where we pick up next week. But a few, a, few, uh, a few thoughts. You know, what does this passage teach us? These are some of the things that I'm taking away. One, God's providence, protection, and provision are always in play. Don't forget that. Now when we look at circumstances, man, we can, we can really get caught up, start to worry and stress. God's going to bring about his perfect will through disconnected and apparently unrelated circumstances. I mean, think about this. Mary became pregnant in Nazareth. But Jesus was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So it just so happened that the Roman emperor issued a decree that all Roman citizens would need to go to their town of registry to be registered for the census. So it just so happened that while pregnant, Joseph and Mary made their way some 90 miles south to the city of Bethlehem that just so happened the time came for her to give birth, and that is where Jesus was born, to fulfill the prophecy found in Malachi. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that odd? 
And then it just so happened that an angel intervened when, when the demonic Herod w- was going to come and destroy Jesus. It just so happened that the angel intervened, and it just so happened that, that wise men from the east had traveled 1,700 miles carrying a gift, and they brought it to Jesus, and it just so happened that underwrite the trip to Egypt, and it just so happened that was fulfillment of prophecy. Just crazy. Just these circumstances just so happen, right? And it just so happened that when Herod died, they were called out of uh, Egypt and they made their way to Nazareth because it just so happened, oh, that, that was the fulfilled that he used to be a Nazarene. You know, the more that I reflect on the prophecy and the life of Jesus, the fulfillment of prophecy of the scripture, the more I'm reminded of what Psalm 139 verse 16 tells us, that every one of our days is written in the Lord's book before we live a single one. He's the one that's written the story. And that tells me a couple of things. One, God is still on his throne. He is still in control. His perfect will that at times just doesn't make sense to us will come to pass in his perfect timing. Not even the Herods of this world can overthrow the kingdom of God. This is what prophecy proves to me, that everything is a a part of God's sovereign plan. Everything. And we're left with the question, well, how is evil a part of his plan? Why is there evil in the world? We have these questions, and we want to ask God why. And there, there are some answers, but I'll tell you, there's some that we just don't get. But I do see God unfolding his plan, not only through the pages of Scripture, but through the pages of my life. Again, the thought, who is really behind the evil Herods of this earth? Who is the true enemy of the kingdom, Christ and his followers? Who's our true enemy? We always, we're looking to everyone else around us. You're the problem. You're the problem. That's the problem. This is, and we're forgetting. And if we're not armored up, what's actually happening is just, dude, Satan, the demonic, they're just firing fiery darts right into our life, right into our heart, right into our minds, polluting our minds and our relationships, tearing up our marriages, trashing families, splitting churches, But I'm I'm reminded of something very profound, that this ancient serpent, this ancient dragon, he may have seven heads and ten horns, seven diadems adorning each head. He may rule through kings and kingdoms. He'll offer Jesus the kingdoms of the world if Jesus will bow down and worship him. He may be over the fallen demonic mafia. He may seek to destroy Jesus and his church, but don't forget, our enemy is a defeated foe. Check this out at the end of Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. Listen to these words. The devil will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Our enemy is a defeated foe. We need to armor up. We need to take our stand. We need to have the belt of truth, the chest plate of righteousness. We need to have the helmet of salvation on our head, our feet shod with the readiness of the gospel. We need a shield of faith and we need a sword and we need to stand shoulder to shoulder with other Christians. We must not give up territory and land 
land and things that have been conquered for Christ, we do not go attack Satan, but we take our stand. And you know what? When he attacks, when he comes at us, our only statement is to hell with you. You are a defeated foe. You have no power over me. You have no authority over my life. I am a servant of the king. I am a follower of Christ, and I am a soldier in his army, and I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation unto man, and my feet are standing firm on Christ. Amen? Starting to understand what that guy was getting at when he was posting on that video. <laughs> but man, if the gospel of Christ doesn't excite you, non passionate Christians, uncommitted, sidelined spectators, that is the great problem. And then finally, and very convictingly for my own heart, is we all have a little Herod in us. Boy, I don't like this part. I can be like a, a tyrant, demanding my own selfish will. I may not go house to house searching for babies, but you know what? I'll assassinate people with my words. I'll tarnish people's reputation with my typing. I will selfishly grab and, and corner myself and, and elbow people out of the way. I'll step on people. I'll get out of my way. I'm getting to the traffic light first. Get out of my way. I'm on the highway. I got the big truck. You better move. <laughs> Do you know my net worth? Do you know how important I am? Do you know my title? You won't make a fool of me. <laughs> Family, we all have Herod in us. And our only hope for the Herod within is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, which we have. We all suffer the effects of the terrible disease. We all need a Savior. It is Christ who died for the Herods of the world of which we are. He suffered and died. He was buried and he's risen. And the Bible says that all who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. To be forgiven of sin, to receive his grace, there is no greater moment in any person's life. To continue walking in that grace, to continue walking in that forgiveness, there is no greater life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your holy and precious word. We thank you for the reality and the truth that scripture gives to our life, that you're orienting our minds to something greater than ourselves and you're orienting our minds to a greater kingdom. Lord, draw us near your heart. Fill us with a passion, a hunger and a thirst to not be passive observers of the Christian life, but to jump in with both feet, to grow spiritually, to stand in the armor that you've provided, to stand with other believers, to proclaim you Jesus. Lord, we ask for fresh cleansing and forgiveness for our sins. Loosen our grip on our idols. 
the things that we turn to for comfort that aren't you, Christ. And our wayward hearts will be brought back home. And for you who have never given your life to Jesus, you've never received the forgiveness that is yours through faith, please understand at this very moment you are separated from the living God because of sin. It is Jesus who died on the cross for your sin, your sin. And he was buried and he's risen. And the Bible declares that all who believe in what Jesus has done on the cross, if you believe what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you ask for forgiveness for your sins, at this very moment you can be forgiven, cleansed, and recipient of eternal life. If that is your desire, in the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were buried, and I believe you've risen. Please forgive me for my sins. Wash me clean. If that is truly your heart's prayer. The Bible declares you passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. You woke up this morning separated from the living God. You will put your head down on your pillow tonight alive, spiritually alive and forgiven in Christ. Welcome to the family of God. Lord, may our lives be an act of worship. May our words be an act of worship. And may we be found faithful in this generation. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together and stretch. Let's give the Lord a wave offering. If you are new to Firewheel, or maybe you've been here for a while, you want to know more about the church, have lunch with us. I would love to sit and talk with you. We're going to eat tacos which are awesome. Who doesn't love a taco, right? But it's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Now let's proclaim that to the rest of the world and don't forget to tell them that Jesus saves. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.